Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Avedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three part spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini. The show that tries to sort out what's true what's woo and what gets flushed down the loo in today's insane apology for a realm. Charles and Camilla went to church in a beautiful carriage of gold. They have pots of money, gold pours out like honey while their subjects starve and freeze in the cold. She appeared quite uneasy and a little bit queasy while he looked deflated and old. For all the fanfare and bunting and media pumping, the royal fairy tale has grown soggy and cold. The people see through the shiny and are now miffed and quite whiny. Let them wave flags and sing, because will Charles be the very last British king? What a spectacle that was, hey? Now, my partner, God bless her, a, a, a true American from, from Missouri and a wonderful Anglophile, God bless her, she stayed up all night to watch the gruesome spectacle. I declined because, you see, I am an American. <laughs> and if memory serves me well, we fought a war back in 1776 to make sure we would never again have to attend another royal coronation. Kudos to the British Armed Forces, though, I have to say. They certainly know how to dress up and they know how to put on a fine show, um, you know, and to entertain the public. They do it so well. And how those pilots fly in formation with all that smoke coming out of the back of their, their you know, their asses, you know, their airplanes asses. I mean, wow, that is incredible. So if you enjoy a bit of pomp and circumstance, a royal coronation, <laughs> most definitely is the place to be. So I don't have a problem with pageantry per se. I have a problem with people in positions of power turning a blind eye to the mood of the nation and blatantly ignoring the needs of the people. And in case you didn't know, Charles, not my king, Charles, is a, is a slave of the World Economic Forum, isn't he? Is part of all of that mafia. Never mind that he likes acupuncture and he criticizes some of the dreadful modern architecture in London, and some of it is awful. I, I do agree with him. But, you know, he's cabal all the way. Um, you know, they're trying to implement these 15 minute cities in the UK. 
And they're really going for it. You know, they're putting up the bollards, uh, not, not bollocks, bollards. Those are sort of, you know, vertical barriers that uh, they have back in the UK. They're putting them up and they're putting up the extra surveillance. Um, you know, and, and people are jumping up and down yelling, God save the king. I mean, what is the matter with you all? And why? Why is Julian Assange still rotting in a British prison in Belmarsh, no less? I mean, the most secure prison in the UK, but, or at least a portion of it is, because it's home to high profile criminals, uh, particularly those accused of threatening national security. People, 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 you can contain a body, but you can't contain an idea. How Assange has been treated is despicable. Every journalist in the world should be outside Belmarsh protesting, demanding his release. You are all cowards, all of you. You have no honor, you have no integrity, you have no guts, and you have the brains of cotton wool. I'm, I'm just so disgusted with the journalists of this world. I, I just really am. Anyway, um, if you're joining us for the first time, <laughs> A very warm welcome to you. Please be assured, I'm not as angry as I sound. I just, you know, I do have a little drinky poo on this show. And when I have a little drinky poo, the tongue is a little looser and my feelings tend to flow, flow with the vine, with the wine and the vine. Anyway, darlings, welcome. Be advised, my usual warning, this show is politically incorrect so as not to erode the intellect. Martini heads, we are not woke. We know the agenda behind the death poke. We will never wear a face cloak. We are common folk who believe in common sense, common decency, common courtesy. We understand deep state ideology. We know who runs the world. We know how and we know why. And we are committed to ending the insanity and restoring the American public republic along the original libertarian ideals. So if you're out there thinking metaphysical martini is a, a place for everyone, well, I'll just say it's not a safe landing place for people seeking false comfort. We are done with falsities. We are, and also with false titties. We don't like those either. We are done with all the fakery in the world. We seek to create a world from which no escape is necessary. We don't want comfortable lives. We want solutions and we're not just going to complain we want to contribute to the solutions this is for free thinkers for thinkers if you're okay with that and if you feel it is time now to finally reclaim the mind from the perceptual engineers then come on come along for the ride we're going to have a great time i have no idea where we're going but i assure you it won't be anywhere in the mainstream matrix. What do we have on today's show for you? Well, we have quack, of course, uh, questions, answers, and comments. That is the meat of our show. We also have the cryptic mystic. We probably have a silly poem somewhere along the line. Um, maybe some tidbits. We'll see how we go. But then at the very end, we do get to my favorite part of the show, which is the cocktail of the day. Let me just um, take a little sip today of my chosen cocktail du jour. Hold on. Don't go away. Sipping is happening. Mm. Oh, I have made a good choice. Oh, praise be to Jesus. 
I have made a very good choice. Mm, yummy. All right, um, before we get going with all that jazz, let me take a moment to thank the people who make intergalactic distribution of this show possible. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington, a veritable cornucopia of items metaphysical, from the mundane to the weird and quizzical. A variety of products to stimulate personal transformation and consequently cosmic expansion. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Mysticalwares.com. Online or on location, you'll be sure to give them a standing ovation. Let's give them one now. Huzzah, huzzah, huzzah for Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. All right, let's get on with the show. <laughs> what should we start with? Let's start with quack questions, answers, and comments. Dear listeners, if you would like to share the contents of your incandescent minds with martini heads across worlds known and unknown, send your emails to me, arnie at arnieavidician.com. Or if you, you know, you have decent handwriting, <laughs> via snail mail to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. And please let me know if and how you wish to be identified, or I shall refer to you as omit personal details. Okay, let us shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what pops out. Shaky, 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 shaky. What do we have today? And our first email is from Chiquita Banana, who lives in Puerto Rico. Hola, Banana. Wow. Uh, and may I say, um, este es mi primer correo electrónico de un plátano. This is my first email from a banana. I mean, you never know what's going to happen on the show. It's just so exciting. What does Chiquita Banana want to know? She seems to have, or he, or I can't imagine a guy calling himself Chiquita Banana, but then on the other hand, guys do love their bananas, so I don't know. Whoever Chiquita Banana is says, with so much pedophilia rampant, is that creating more and more pedophiles? Do you see this reaching critical mass? Question number two. Was the Bible God centered and then it got hijacked and corrupted? Or was it always satanic? Like, are all the messages of light and evil intertwined in there? And finally, and this has got to be one of my favorite questions of the year so far. Dear Arnie, do regular bullets kill reptilians? <laughs> These are very good questions. And... Um, I think I'd like to know how many glasses of excellent Puerto Rican rum you drank before sending this email. But let's go ahead and address those issues, shall we? So the first one was with so much pedophilia rampant, is that creating more and more pedophiles? And do you see this reaching critical mass? Okay, um, let me have a drink. <laughs> Hang on. Mm. Yes, I'm so inspired when I have a little tipple. Okay, Banana, in my experience um, with them, uh, pedos, uh, and in my line of work, uh, I am often called upon to deal with the dirtier aspects of poor mental health. In my experience with them, pedophiles have 
complex mental health issues and it isn't just one thing or one root cause. I will say that the cabal's goal is to entice those on the edge of madness to experiment. Of course, you are mad if you want to bonk a child. Um, the cabal regularly penetrates and sacrifices young children in its high rituals. I know this for a fact. Um, and in some cases, they do eat the flesh of the sacrificed. So yes, they want to normalize it with a view to persuading parents and guardians to voluntarily offer their children to Lucifer. This is a long-term plan. It always has been. And you can see it now with this administration attempting to strip parents of their rights, separating children from their parents during medical appointments, giving them vaccines without informing the parents, telling children, um, facilitating medical mutilation of children's genitals as early as 10 years old, disrupting normal hormone development. They want children, the state wants children to be indoctrinated by them, the state, the deep state, not by the parents. If we don't nip this in the bud, and I would say, I mean, it seemed to have come up very quickly, even though it has been a long-term agenda, I would say it's way past a bud. It's more of a sapling at this point. But if we don't unleash holy hell on this administration, the next generation of children will be transhuman. And that, of course, is the ultimate goal of the cabal, to have post-human slave bots controlled by the masterminds of the Great Reset. As horrible as all that sounds, it is 100% true. And if you have the courage to research it, you will, you will know that. Is this agenda creating more pedos or just giving those who are closeted an opportunity to indulge their depraved fantasies? I cannot say that I can give you any firm data on that, but clearly it seems to be free for all, doesn't it? What is disturbing, what is disturbing though, is how common it is in certain cultures and has been through time. I'm not going to mention any specific groups because it is currently not safe for me to do so. But there are people out there in certain cultures who not only think it is their right to rape children, they also see no problem raping their own children. And it is rape, by the way, it's not sexual misconduct. It is rape because a young person cannot consent to something they do not understand. This is a horrific agenda. You see, <clears throat> this may be going off the point slightly, but which I'm very good at, by the way, but this is where I disagree, strongly disagree with my conservative friends who want to outlaw safe abortion. If you could see what I have seen, the foster homes and the orphanages filled with unwanted children, children who have no one to advocate for them. Oftentimes these children are abused in these homes. I mean, that's really 
an exception if they're not abused in some way or another. If not sexually, then they are abused in other ways. Oftentimes they are bought and sold as sex slaves. And I know for a fact that many are procured for the dark rituals. Oh, one day I'll do a whole podcast devoted to what I know about dark rituals, but it is not currently safe for me to do so. So people, I would just say to you, deciding to have a child is a serious business. You are giving a manifestation of source an opportunity to have an experience on your realm. You are responsible for guiding the child. You are responsible for protecting the child. You are responsible for teaching the child valuable and practical life skills. Your life trajectory, I can speak, I really can. Your life trajectory is altered when you become pregnant. And if this is not a responsibility you can honorably bear, and if you cannot plan to have that child properly and lovingly cared for after birth by you or someone else, then your best option is to terminate that pregnancy as soon as possible. It is not murder. I will debate anyone on that. You know, all those emotional, ultra-religious types out there who believe you should carry a child to term even if the pregnancy is a result of rape and even if it kills you, you people are sick in the head. You really are. All of your naive assumptions about what is and what isn't sinful, you really need to do some critical thinking. If you want to see true sinfulness, let me show you what I have seen. Let me share with you some of my clients' experiences, if you have the stomach for it. There are days uh, I don't. You, we all should be deeply disturbed that this administration, whatever this administration is, obviously it's a franchise of New World Order, we should be deeply disturbed that they seek to reclassify pedophiles as minor attracted persons. Minor attracted persons persons. What is that? I mean, I am so glad I am not a parent because I might be tempted to reclassify my pistol as a wireless hole punching device. For the love of all that is decent, speak out against this filth whenever and wherever you see it. Stop acquiescing to this insanity. And if your children tell you they don't want Uncle Bob or Auntie Sally or a certain party to be their babysitter, if they tell you they're uncomfortable around someone, if they say, oh, he makes my tummy hurt or something like, pay attention and ask them why. Sexual abuse often goes on right under the noses of the parents or guardians. Children don't have the maturity to express themselves. They don't even know what's going on. They just know it feels bad, it feels wrong, and it stays with them for life. That's why the cabal want to do this to children. If you break a child, you own the adult. We simply cannot allow the current puppet administration to normalize pedophilia. I can't believe I even have to speak these words. Chiquita Banana, what was your next question? Let's take a look. Was the Bible God-centered and then it got hijacked and corrupted or was it always satanic? 
are the messages of light and evil intertwined in there? Mm. Well, my point of view, the Bible is not God's stream of consciousness, is it? It's not one book with a beginning, a middle and an end. It's an edited work, a collection of writings, scriptures put together for control, not salvation. Study the history of Christianity. The extreme contrasts of light and dark are purposeful. The cabal, of course, the churches, you know, especially the Vatican is a branch of the cabal. They want us to be confused as to the nature of God. Now, stay with me here. Let me try and explain this. They want us to be confused as to the nature of God, presenting the divine as an entity with serious psychological delusion. That way, if we were created in its image, which we are not, we are created in its vibration, but say you believe in the image theory, how can we aspire to be sane if our creator is presented as insane? Some very deep thought went into this special brand of brain fry. And once someone points it out, though, it does become obvious. You know, you don't need religion to find God. In my opinion, we're better off without religion. Religion is a human construct. Humans, though, are God's constructs. It's a subtle yet significant difference. Take a look at all the descriptions of God and all the things that God is supposed to have done and not done in the Bible. He is presented, she is, it, whatever, is presented as a psychopath, a multiple personality disorder. It's done by design, by the way. And you had one more question. Let's take a look at that question. Do regular bullets kill reptilians? <laughs> How do I answer this? I should have uh, gone to my firearms instructor with this. Let me have a little sip and see if I can be inspired. Mm. This really is a, a jolly nice drink. Um, do regular bullets kill reptilians? Uh, actually, it is something I've had conversations about with colleagues back in the day. But I have to say, I have never had the opportunity to get into a gunfight with a reptilian. And I think that's a good thing. Off the top of my head, um, I would say it depends on the species and whether or not they are in altered form. You see, not all reptiles, are, not all reptilians are covered in armored scales. Some of them are quite smooth skinned. I mean, they're not humanoid for sure but they're not the cartoon caricatures that we see in comics or in films. So when we're talking about some of the more powerful ones, like the Draco, right? You would definitely need armor piercing for that. But the other problem, of course, is that they have portable force field capability, portable personal force field capability, and that will cause the projectile to go off course. So I have some ideas on man versus Draco, but I'm not an ammunition expert. And, you know, let's hope it never comes to that. Because no standing Earth army can win against the Draco boots on the ground, all out assault. So it makes me very happy knowing that commanders Ashtar and Hatton are up there with a the Palladian fleet, making sure that never happens. Because if it did, oh, well, bye bye humanity. <laughs>
<laughs> well, I'm just going to have to say great questions from the banana in Puerto Rico. Vaya con Dios, mi fruta de otro planeta. <laughs> Let's take another question. This is from Myra in Madison, Wisconsin, where all the cheese comes from, you see. And Myra says, I would like to know how the Fey folk are dealing with Earth's Great Awakening. Are their lives affected by it? Are they anticipating change on their realm? Myra, what a lovely question. Thank you for asking on behalf of our Fey brethren. The Fey, I believe, are dealing with it very well because they know the desired result is mankind's escape from mental slavery. And that makes them very happy. Other than that, um, it doesn't affect them, affect them in any meaningful way. I mean, they're not dependent, are they, on the structures created to support our society. They don't use our banks. They don't go through our court system. They don't really engage in trade or commerce with us. They don't watch our television. I mean, the rules of our matrix don't apply to theirs. So how will this realm change uh, affect them? How will our ascension affect them, our awakening? I would say it would be like having your bad neighbor move out finally after years of grief. You know, if we ascend and humans, we don't have a choice, get ascending. <laughs> Um, if we ascend, it's a win-win for all of us. And you know what? I long for the day when humans and Fae walk side by side once again. I like the idea of that, that day coming closer. Because back in the day, back in antiquity, humans and Fae walked together and lived together. But humans became grotesque and greedy and selfish and did not respect the greater good. And so the angels came and moved the Fey folk just a little bit away from us dimensionally so that we could use the same land, the, the same planet, and still uh, on, you know, be with Mother Earth. But humans wouldn't be able to harm the Fey anymore. Thank you, Myra, for your lovely question. We forget sometimes, oftentimes, that humans are not the only race living on Earth. So what else do we have with a quack? Let's take a look here. Let's take another question. And this is from the Pirate of the Caribbean, <laughs> who is also from Puerto Rico. What is going on in PR? Are you all on a martini kick? How lovely. Oh, my God. I have a fan club in Puerto Rico. Well, I have two people who wrote to me. It, it's a start. Whenever two or more get together in my name, <laughs> the Pirate asks, Dear Ani, what are your thoughts on the institution of marriage? How do you see our younger generations moving forward in healthy relationships, building families and homes? Well, I definitely need a drink for this one. Hold on. Mm. Oh, oh, my God, that is so good. Mm. Mm. Oh, mm. All right, where was I? OK, uh, pirate. <laughs> I think it depends on who raises them, doesn't it? I mean, with regard to the institution of marriage, I believe it's an agreement between two consenting adults. The government should not be involved. 
The government has no right to tell us how to live our lives. The government should concern itself with protecting the rights of the individual and securing our borders. Two things the current globalist infiltrated apology for an administration has absolutely no interest in. And what is or is not a family? I think it depends on the individuals making the agreement. I don't necessarily believe the so-called traditional one man, one woman and 2.4 children is the only or even the best model. But the state wants neat little licensed family units so it knows how best to tax them, how to exploit them. And I take issue with the state for requiring licensing. I take issue with the state for just about everything these days because they are no longer working for the people. If we were to ask people, what is marriage? Well, the majority will respond according to their cultural indoctrination. If two people decide to marry each other, well, the marriage will fail if each is looking to the other for the parts missing within themselves. Marriages fail due to unmet expectations. And again, this is in no small part due to cultural indoctrination. Family units would be healthier if both parties were taught this before the ceremony. You see, a good marriage, it's a beautiful thing. Two people and their progeny loving one another, helping one another, supporting one another, making the world a better place, making their home a happy haven, a place one can look forward to spending time in, a place where the tribe resides, a place where one is always welcome. I miss, you know, the days when people would sit around the table of an evening meal and go, well, how was your day, Dad? Oh, blah, blah. How was your day, Mom? Oh, kids, what did you do? Where's your homework? And, you know, we would discuss problems. Uh, we would, you know, support each other, uh, debrief the day, as it were, before moving on to pudding and happier conversations. Uh, as for how do I see our younger generations moving forward in healthy relationships again, you know, building families and home depends on who raised them. Every era seems to have its challenges. Allowing our children to become woke idiots is this era's main challenge, isn't it? So how can I make this as precise and concise as possible? Um, young people today are being steered away from self-respect, from sense of self, any sense of spiritual alignment. They are taught to shun respectful debate in favor of parroting propaganda. They have no common sense and are being taught to ignore the rational mind. They are taught that feelings do not need to be explored or processed. And instead of functional behavior, they are taught to spew hatred and rage, rage wherever they are triggered and, you know, whenever they're triggered by something that offends them. And I, I think that would be everything because unprocessed emotions result in serious mental health conditions, which fills up your energy anatomy with landmines of triggers. So to sum up, unless they've been raised by healthy families, I if they're raised by the woke, I don't see them having healthy relationships with others because they have a very unhealthy relationship with their own selves. As, as Ayn Rand says, you can't say I love you unless you understand the I. 
They're not given the opportunity to mature emotionally. Instead, they're given the opportunity to go to sexually explicit drag shows, to mutilate their genitals, to do hormone blockers, to receive medication without parental guidance, and to have their school curriculums rewritten for epsilon semi-morons so as not to offend those, you know, with intellect. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Mm, my little pirate... Um, I predict a serious shortage of healthy relationships in the years to come and a massive increase in prescription writing from psychiatrists. And then, as with all things, by the grace of God, we will move on to better days and to more functional ways. I hope I see it in my lifetime. But if not, well, I hear the view from heaven is spectacular. Shall we have one more question? Let's do it. And let me have another sip of this drinky poo. Um, mm. Sometimes I wish that this podcast was visual because some of these drinks, they're so colorful. Um, mm. Mm. I should slow down on that. Um, it's rather strong. Okay. One more question. Shaking up the fishbowl. And this one is from Omit Personal Details. Who asks? Um, okay, this is a very long one. So I'm going to paraphrase and summarize because uh, otherwise we'll be here all day. Uh, but the essence of it is um, my husband and I raised our four children in the Catholic faith. Our youngest, who just, 20, who just turned 21 years old, informed us she is leading the church to explore Wicca. And she says it's more in keeping with her calling as a student of fine arts. Um, and she is also a horticulturalist. It's a big hobby of hers. And my husband and I have never explored other religions, so researching Wicca was a real eye-opener. And the mother goes on to say, we are understandably upset by her decision, but she is 21 now, and she has the right to live her life as she sees fit. I have a few concerns about her new chosen religion. My main concern with Wicca is that they have multiple deities. We believe there is only one God. We are also concerned that she has to keep a personal book of shadows and have a witch's grimoire on hand for reference. Our concern is that her soul will become lost come judgment day. Any advice you could give would be helpful. Um, okay, I don't worry. Um, we can sort this out because this is certainly not the first letter I have received from what I would call traditional religion parents, traditional religion parents, and their, their kids are going off to explore nature religions. So let me address your concerns. Okay. Mm. Wicca has the Lord and the Lady and, yes, multiple minor deities. You have the one God but you have multiple saints. So you're concerned that focusing on these minor deities, she will turn away from the one God. But have you turned your attention away from the one God because you sometimes focus on the multiple saints? Probably not. As for the Lord and Lady, um, it's just, you know, the divine is two sides of a coin, the masculine and the feminine heads and tails. 
they're not dividing the divine. They're, they're just honoring all the aspects of the divine in the same way as all of your saints are known to help with a certain problem or another. Their minor deities are associated with um, along the same lines, really, with uh, nature issues, but also with our own issues. It's just the same, really. I don't see a difference. It's just it's just words. It's just a different way of looking at it. Saints, minor deities. Lord and Lady, the one God. Um, as for the Book of Shadows and the Grimoire, please don't let those titles scare you. They're just books. So traditionally, a Grimoire is a book of alchemical instruction, a manual for alchemists, sorcerers, enchanters, witches, whatever you want to call them. And the Book of Shadows is nothing more than a personal journal, a place where your daughter will record her spells, her recipes, her rituals. And sometimes these personal journals are passed on to others and they become grimoires for the next generation of witches. So we often think of the grimoire as the textbook that the entire class uses. And then your book of shadows is your personal book. And when you die, if you've done anything worth noting, that can then be used as a textbook for the next group of witches. And spells are prayers, darling. That's all they are. I mean, you cast spells in a sacred place with incense, and you Catholics love incense as much as I do. Um, so you're casting a spell in a sacred space in alignment with Mother Nature and all that is. It's a conversation, a dialogue with universal intelligence, just like prayer. So don't let your Catholicism get in the way of your common sense. Uh, and I mean that respectfully. I mean, you know, your lot are responsible for terrorizing thousands of witches over the years. So forgive me <laughs> for suggesting there might be some unconscious bias on your part. But I do congratulate you for raising a spirit-centered free-thinking daughter. So she's into horticulture um, and fine arts. Well, of course, she's drawn to a nature-loving religion. And can I just address your concern about her soul being lost on Judgment Day? Okay, God does not lose souls, and God is not Catholic. Religion is a human construct. Humans are a divine construct. Each soul is adored by the Creator, and we are all held in the golden glow of God's grace from the first light to the end of days. God will tend to your daughter's soul with such love and tenderness, you will wonder how you ever believed in such a thing as Judgment Day. Let us not make the mistake of assigning the divine human characteristics. God is unconditional love, pure and simple, not the capricious being with multiple personality disorders as portrayed in the Bible. So bless you for your concerns, but let's let go and let God your daughter is going to be just fine. Okay, well, I think that's it for Quack. Thank you, everyone, for writing in. I really do appreciate it. It's nice to know you're out there. You know, we're sitting here just pontificating, wondering where it's going. It's just lovely to hear from you. Shall we move on to the cryptic mystic? Yes, let's do it. Should we have a little kazoo break? <laughs> Yes, folks, it's the cryptic mystic where we have our way with someone dead who liked to pray. And today's holy roller is John Bunyan, 
who lived 1628 to 1688. So who is this chap and why do we care? Well, John Bunyan was an English writer and a Puritan preacher, best remembered as the author of the Christian allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. So this chap is born in 1628 in the hamlet of Harridan. Um, that's somewhere near the town of Bedford. And we do know that he was baptized on the 30th of November, 1628. He was the son of a tinker, you know, a maker and mender of pots and kettles. This is not in the upper echelons of society. But they were a poor family, but they owned their own cottage. And Bunyan described his childhood as normal, happy, and he did learn to read and write, which I don't really know how many Tinker's children, you know, had that kind of education. Because as a child, he would have traveled the district and perhaps further afield, helping his father mend those pots and pans and, you know, learning the trade. Um, by the time he's a young man, we're getting into the sort of a 1642 to 45 era, there was the Civil War. Bunyan was 16 at that time. His mother died, his father remarried. Um, and 1644, we see that Bunyan was conscripted, conscripted uh, into the army. And he spent quite a bit of time in the garrison at a, at a town called Newport Pagnell. Um, I don't think he liked it very much. Uh, he did a lot of guard duty but uh, once in a while he saw somebody be shot um, and he, he was traumatized by that as uh, people usually are when their friends are shot in the head. Anyway, he finished his duty there. He returned to his town in 1647. He resumed his work as a tinker um, and he married a local girl, had four children, one of whom, I think the first of whom was called Mary and she was born blind. Uh, the arrival of this blind daughter did something internally to Bunyan. It made him reflect for the first time in his life, really, about the value of life, the universe, God, and all of those things. And he started to become a little bit interested in the spiritual path. So we've got him, we'll, we'll leave him there, thinking about, I'm having a spiritual crisis where do I go from here? So the Civil War, well, it made its mark through the country, believe me, um, but it changed England. Many people wanted a simpler form of worship, you know, something away from all of the grand pageantry of Catholicism, etc., and, uh, you know, the just the, the grand pageantry. Um, Bunyan heard a sermon at some point and he was moved by it but I don't think he allowed himself to be completely moved but a voice inside of him said wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven or have thy sins and go to hell and something happened to him there something along the lines of what we would call divine revelation and his life began to change and we're at 1653 now, and we see him joining the newly formed Independent Church. This is in St. John's Church, Bedford, 
south of the river, where he became friends with one pastor, John Gifford. And by 1655, Bunyan discovers he's actually a gifted preacher. And by 1659, he's recognized beyond the county border as a good preacher. And he becomes very active in this new movement of having a more simplified religion. Remember the Civil War was the Cavaliers and the Roundheads, uh, extravagance, simplicity, you know, um, those were the contrasts. Um, so his wife dies in 1658. So he marries again. Uh, he marries a lady called Elizabeth and has two more children. And then he starts to write. And one of the first books of his we read was The Doctrine of the Law and Grace Unfolded. Um, now, in 1660, Cromwell's protectorate of the Puritans comes to an end and the monarchy is restored. Oh, sacre bleu! So we're in a bit of trouble there in England. All the people that were promoting the Puritan agenda um, were persecuted again. Um, and so he was arrested and he was sentenced to three months in prison. They said to him, look, Bunyan, you can go home after your little sentence is over, but you have to give us an assurance not to preach. But he couldn't do that. I mean, he could have got out in three months, but he refused to do that. So he remains in the county jail from 1661 to 1672. That's 12 years. I mean, wow, um, amazing. He could have just said, I won't preach. And then he could have got out, gone somewhere else and preached. But, you know, he didn't. So there he is, prison. Five, what was it, 12 years. That's just incredible. He wasn't treated badly in prison. Um, he was allowed a few privileges because he wasn't a common criminal. He was just somebody who said, no, I am true to my path. I, I cannot... I cannot pretend that I will not preach. So his daughters, you know, brought him food. He, he bought him food. He was relatively well taken care of. Um, but while he was in prison, he started write, writing again. Um, in fact, the period in prison was used solely for writing. And he wrote a great many works, over 60, if my memory serves me. Um, and... We believe that it was during the year 1667 to 72 that Bunyan wrote much of the first part of the Pilgrim's Progress, which if you grew up in England, there is no way they are not going to teach that to you in school. Okay, so we're in 1672. King Charles II issues the Declaration of Religious Indulgence and huzzah, Bunyan and other church offenders are released from prison. And he was immediately appointed pastor of the independent church back in Bedford. And so, you know, he's preaching again, but 1673, such were the times, the king was forced to withdraw his declaration. And early in 1677, Bunyan returned to prison. Um, we believe actually he was in and out of prison quite a bit. Um, he got the nickname Bishop Bunyan. Isn't that interesting? Um, you know, he died August 31st, 1688, 
Uh, you might say it was an unremarkable life, except for his body of work and all of his time in prison. He died in London. Um, what do we know him for? Well, we know him for the Pilgrim's Progress, and we know him for the beautiful hymn, He Who Would Valiant Be, which was one of my favorite childhood hymns back in boarding school. And I'm trying to make a decision right now if I've had enough of this drink to sing it to you or if I should speak it. Let me have another sip of my drink. Hold on. Mm. All right. I think I'm going to go ahead and give it my best shot. Now, this hymn, I don't think it's the kind of hymn that should be sung by a hundred voice choir with timpani and harmony and all of that. It really is more the kind of hymn that needs to be sung by common folk in a common place by someone with a rough voice holding a tankard of ale. Um, I, I, I always imagine a medieval accompaniment to this. I don't have any medieval instrumentalists with me today, so I'm just going to give it my best shot and I'll sing it as slowly as I can so that you understand these beautiful words. It's called He Who Would Valiant Be Against All Disaster. Oh, what could go wrong? Let's give it a shot. He who would valiant be against all disaster let him in constancy follow the master there's no discouragement shall make him once relent his first avowed intent to be a pilgrim whoso beset him round with dismal stories do but themselves confound his strength the more is no foes shall stay his might, though he with giants fight. He will make good his right to be a pilgrim. Since, Lord, thou dost defend us with thy spirit, we know we at the end shall life inherit. Then fancies flee away, I'll fear not what men say. A labor night and day to be a pilgrim. Now, if you follow this podcast, you will have noticed that I always give Puritans a bad rap because they don't have enough fun. So I think it's most gracious of me to applaud the life of Bishop Bunyan. Um, and as I said, I just love that hymn. I just love it. So that's it for the cryptic mystic bringing mysticism to the masses by reviving obscure works from both geniuses and jackasses. John Bunyan, B-U-N-Y-A-N, many works. If you'd like to know more about him, and I do suggest that you dig into him a little bit if you're at all interested in all types of mysticism, um, there's a wonderful little book written by one Anne Lawrence, and it's called John Bunyan and His England, 1628 to 1688. Uh, I found it useful, very enjoyable, because it's not just about him. It's about everything that's going on in that pivotal time of English history. So there we are. Now, my darlings, let me remind you to visit my website once in a while, www 
www.aniavadisian.com so you can see what I am up to. If I want to know what I'm up to, that is where I go. You should probably join some of my cosmic conversations. They're quite popular. We hold them on the last Saturday of each month around 5 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, this April one we did, we did, uh, it's called Rocking the House with Hildy Van B and Anchorite J, where we presented an overview of the life and works of Hildegard of Bingen and Julian of Norwich, two female mystics who rocked the religious rhythm and blues so well, even the patriarchy respected them. So these cosmic conversations, they're entry-level presentations. Think of them as an amuse-bouche and a tiny taste of dessert. We designed them to be a series of short, little presentations on popular New Age subjects designed to stimulate interest and promote awareness, informal, fun, and hopefully fascinating. This month, on May the 27th, the Cosmic Conversation is an overview of Ayn Rand with an emphasis on her theory of objectivism. I'm quite a fan of a reason, logic, common sense, and even though Rand was an atheist, I truly resonate with her words because she nailed the corruption of the ego mind and encouraged mankind to stop wallowing in a pool of its unresolved emotions, to honor the self and to pursue happiness as the highest moral goal. People either love her or hate her. There doesn't seem to be an in-between. They see her either as a villain or a hero. It takes a calm, objective mind to fully appreciate her contribution, her impact on modern history. I remember once many moons ago, I was asked back in school who I would choose to invite to dinner if I could pick anyone in history. Uh, Ayn Rand and Bertrand Russell were the only two names I could come up with. And I think that probably stands today. I wasn't allowed to invite Rand because she was still alive. But I was allowed to invite Russell as he popped off in the 1970s, I think. So ah, fond memories of school days, or maybe perhaps that's how I choose to remember them. Um, I was a bit of a fish out of water, I think. And finally, the Cosmic Conversation on June 24th is going to be an overview of the masterpiece that is the US Constitution, the one that this puppet administration is working so diligently to make null and void. And good luck with that, all you minions of Lucifer's New World Order. The silent majority is about to speak up, and unlike me, it won't be pretty. Now, I think I have time for a little poem. Once in a while, folks, I come up with silly poetry. I will actually, anytime I have a cocktail, I come up with some very silly poetry. This one may not be as silly as most. Um, I wrote this about a year ago, or was it two years ago, when I came to the conclusion or I accepted that people were not really understanding what was going on with the COVID hoax. Um, oh, now that I look at it, I wrote it May 2021. All right, so I'm, I'm going to share it with you. Um, and here we go. For years, we banged the drum and you acted dumb. Hey, wake up. Humans are a cash crop on a people farm. You rolled up your sleeves and presented your arms. Please don't repeat the mistakes of the past, we asked. You ridiculed us. You giggled. You passed. Well, now it's sad, but the joke's on you. 
your hubris allowed the dark ones to stage a coup. And still you deny truth, even as the facts are presented. The establishment wishes to cull you, but you signed, you consented. If you wish to die, none of my business, that's your affair. But hear me well, this planet is a home we all share. You accepted the mark, now the gene pool is polluted. You allowed your sovereign body to be openly looted. Should you live long enough to realize the damage you created, prepare to be shunned, baited, and hated. Today, we sail into uncharted waters, castrating our sons, sterilizing our daughters. You will claim coercion and that your actions stemmed from ignorance. No, they did not. They stemmed from your indifference. Our world is a wonder with treasures yet to find. If you would but open and then reclaim your minds. Not one of my happier ones, I think. But you know, I do get serious from time to time, darlings, because you see incarnations, they're a pretty serious affair, you know. Oh my gosh, babes, look at the time. We're almost there, almost at the end of the show. Um, I'm going to start to wrap it up, but let me finish my drink. Hold on. Mm. Mm -mm. Mm. Mm. All right. Um, <clears throat> I apologize for the sound effects, but sometimes when a drink is that yummy, you've just got to share the love, you know. I do hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording the show because I had a blast. I always do. I sit here in my little office in the Pacific Northwest, beaming my brilliance and my bullshit to martini heads all over the world. Hello, Singapore. Hello, Cayman Islands. Hello, Paddington Bear in Peru. Hello, London. Hello, Liberia. Hello, Louisiana. Today's real life cocktail, which has obviously taken a hold, is called a Mexico Rose. And here's how you make it two ounces of good silver tequila. I'm partial to Hornita Silver. It's my go-to tequila. Every girl needs a go-to tequila. Then you get half an ounce, a full half ounce of freshly squeezed lime juice, and a full, a full half ounce of creme de cassis. And that is a sweet, dark liqueur made from black currants. It's not something you're gonna to want to drink on, on, on its own, but it's lovely in cocktails. So get all that, pour it into a shaker over cracked ice, very important, and give it a hard shake, not a gentle slosh, a hard shake. Then you pour it into your favorite cocktail glass and you enjoy it. And it's a lovely change from a margarita. And I'm sure your mother would love one on Mother's Day on May the 14th uh, here in the USA. So I have finished mine, so the show is over. Remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. I am Ani, mad as the day is long, Abadician. This was a Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Mwah! 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 Until we meet again, stand up and claim your sovereignty. We are divine beings, not disposable commodities. Don't drink cheap booze. Remain alert and amused, but above all, my darlings, 
Let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Apatisian, The Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you.